right, guys, welcome back. We're gonna we're gonna record a quick podcast here. I got to make it quick because Ben's got an exam coming up. Um, but I, I I got I'm digging through emails, uh, or these are Facebook messages, and I've got a bunch of them that um, last weekend I did not. I tried to stay off of messaging back and forth just because I was up north with my family. And decided to kind of take a couple of days off that. Well, it really piled up on me. So I apologize. I'm catching up from last week's messages. Um, and I came through a few that I hollered at Ben. And I said, let's just record a podcast on these because they're a little deeper. Um, and, and this one in particular is a little deeper. And I thought it was a good one. It comes from Canada, um, Saskatchewan. And I, I messaged him back, and I, I don't know if this guy's name is Rob. I'm not sure if he listens to the podcast or not. I'm hoping that he will after this. I'll send him a message and a link to it if he doesn't. Um, but it's a great question. It, it's an interesting question. I thought it would be easier for me to do it this way um, than writing out a, a book or a long narrative to him. So let me get right into it. Not sure if this is – here's his message. Not sure if this goes direct to Jeremy. It does. But I have a question. Uh, I've watched many of your videos on YouTube with Bella. I'm getting a nine-week-old Munsterlander in a week. I feel somewhat prepared in watching so many of your videos and reading a book, but I decided to find more sources to get a broader perspective on a variety of of what trainers are doing. Our dog is going to be part of the family as a pet most of the time. Obviously, during bird season, I'll be using the dog as much as possible, primarily upland, but also a little waterfall. But after that, it's regular family pet. I've always felt like obedience would be very important so the rest of the family can interact with the dog in the same way, example, walking without having the dog drag my wife and kids. I've been reading in some forums that going too much obedience could possibly hinder the dog's drive and independence, especially something like heel. Or ideas like don't train a pointing dog to sit, but retrievers, it's okay. I know in watching your videos that you went consistently on heel from the beginning with Bella, and I love it. Does this lead to dogs that are hesitant to spread out from the hunter in the field? That seems to be one of the warnings people mention. I had full intentions of training the dog to, with the heel command so that my family can walk the dog sanely and enjoyably. I guess some said that staking the dog out is enough to teach a dog to walk with a loose lead and heel is unnecessary. I'm just curious on your thoughts. Maybe it's worth Maybe it's different for a dog that is primarily waterfall versus primarily upland. Love the videos, by the way. Appreciate your honest approach to documenting the process. Uh, It's given me a uh, confidence to give it a try. Okay, so I think there's a lot of parts to that. I think it's a great question. It's part of why I picked it to say, let's do a podcast on it. Um, I just think that what's interesting is, first off, I do think that it's a good idea to listen to a lot of trainers. I think you should check out as many resources as possible. I say that all the time. I don't think that it's just simply watch Bella be good and then you're, then you're good to go with everything. Watch Live with Spry, you're good to go. Because Live with Spry and Bella be good are two different series with two different approaches made by the same person with two different dogs. So I think that getting an understanding of lots of different ways of doing it. I have a, a DVD series that I bought. I have lots of DVD series that I've bought over the years, training DVDs. Some of them are filmed in the 80s. Some of them are filmed in the 90s. Um, You know, DVDs are kind of a thing that's going away. A lot of the newer stuff, I've watched a lot of it. Um, I don't necessarily have a bunch of DVD series from it, but I watch a lot of them and and I don't necessarily, uh, here's how I watch them. I watch it with a grain of salt. Like I, I take everything 
as it is, and then I figure out if I can or can't apply it and if it makes sense or not to me and for what I'm doing. I think that I, I hate the idea of people saying, I'm going to follow your program. I don't have a program. Like I work with dogs and I work with dogs accordingly based on how they respond and react to the things that I'm trying with them. Callie right now is a perfect example is a dog that we're training doing a series on Callie keep on. She has this issue with getting out and working out in front of me. Now I didn't train her from, from the beginning. And so part of that is part of the issue is because of that, because she was, and it's not because the other person did it a bad job with it. It's because the other person was training her to do something different. They were not training her with the intentions of her quartering and flushing. And so she was trained as going to be a pickup dog where she was going to be in heel position all the time. Other dogs were going to flush. She was going to just simply make retrieves, deliver to hand, use natural game finding. So the purpose of her training when it started was different than what I'm going to use her for now. So we're going to have to untrain some things before we can train some things back into her. So I, I, that, that's just a one scenario. If you watch and you've, you said you watched the Bella be good series, you'll notice, and you mentioned it, how I always had Bella come back into heel and you really liked that. If you watch, um, some of that series, you're going to see that Bella went out and picked rabbits for us. Well, that was when we were grouse hunting. Bella was a hell of a grouse dog. Uh, really nice flushing dog. Her One of her issues was range. She got excited and moved out a little too far. So we really had to focus on working on balancing that and reeling her back in to hold her close to the gun, especially in the grouse woods. Because when it was, it's a lot thicker, it's a lot less, it's not like we're hunting a big CRP field where for pheasants or something that, that she can get out a little bit and a bird gets up and you got clear shot. You just don't get clear shots for grouse. So we want these dogs working as close as possible. In fact, I liked it a lot of times. Ellie's got a real nice pattern. I didn't train it into her. She just has it inherently, but she makes these big loops. She'd loop around us and make big semicircles. And she, a lot of times this year, she flushed birds back to me. It wasn't because she was out of range. It was because she figured out this range where she, there was a pocket that she could get beyond a bird holding tight. Now, if a bird runs, obviously it changes everything, but she could get beyond these birds and flush them back to me. It worked really nice for a grouse dog. So I think that it's how you, how you intend to use the dog is very important. Now you've, you're talking about a pointing dog. So a little bit out of my comfort zone because I've not trained a pointing dog, but I'm going to be, I got a setter coming here. Uh, hopefully that this year. And so I'm going to be experimenting it. You're going to watch me do it. Here's my thought with the idea of the person that says, don't train a pointer to sit. I think it's crazy. I think sitting in an obedient setting on heel or where I, or I'm in the yard, or I, I want to do something where I have to have the dog sit still. Me telling that dog to sit down. Sitting is natural to dogs. I, I, dogs sit. Whether they're pointing dogs or not, they sit. In the wild, dogs sit down. Dogs lay down. Dogs roll around on their back. They all, they're all dogs. For me to tell the dog to sit while I'm putting the garbage out or going to the mailbox or at the soccer game or whatever, has, in my opinion, has absolutely zero effect on a dog's natural inherent tendencies to point. Remember, we don't train dogs to point. You know, you, there's nobody out there that's... If you are, you bought the wrong dog. Like It'd be like buying a round peg and trying to fit it into a square hole. It's hard to do. It may, you could do it, but you got to probably beat it in. It's hard. It's better when you buy the reason the Munsterlander was bred is to because it's a naturally pointing dog. 
So the tendency for that dog to point, I would say, is going to be natural. You're not going to train it. You're going to train it to fit exactly how you want, just like a retriever retrieves, but they don't necessarily always retrieve to hand. They don't aren't born steady. So we take retrievers with a natural inherent desire to retrieve. We use that to our advantage. We mold it and fit it to shape exactly how we're going to hunt with them. And everybody does it a little bit differently. So you, everyone's is a little bit different. That's okay. It doesn't have, I don't, I've got a, we talked about video series before. I've got a video series in the um, closet right now. It's like nine videos. Uh, Mike Lardy. And, and if you're a retriever guy, you'll know Mike Lardy's name. Um, real influential, developed a, a system that a lot of guys use and follow. I watch it. I watch the entire thing. Um, I use very little of it. I mean, minimal amount of information from that do I apply in my training, but it doesn't hurt me to know it. It doesn't hurt me to see it. It helps me to understand. It's just a different approach to training. So this idea of not teaching a dog, to, a pointing dog to sit to me doesn't make any sense because do you, maybe I, I will go along with the idea of once your dog gets on point, don't tell him to sit because I don't want the dog sitting on point. Now setters, on the other hand, their name is derived from what they used to do. They used to set. It almost like stalk the bird, get down in a cat like they, they would lower themselves. Now, since then, we have, this is a breeding thing, but we've changed that here in the States to get, we like high tails over here and we like the idea of being able to see them. And so we don't want them getting down. We don't want their tails flat. That's all preference. And it's based on oftentimes, much like retrievers, we build stuff around systems of trials and what do judges like to look at? I could care less what judges like to look at because I don't do compete with them. So I want functionality in my dog. I really don't mind. I like tradition. I like classic stuff. So I don't, I, when I get this setter there, the American version of it would be high tail, nice, bold, staunch stance. If the dog, if the dog sets, crouches, sneaks, I don't want, now I want him steady. I don't want him to be, I want him staunch. I want him to hold. I don't want him creeping and bumping birds. But if it gets into a downward, I'm okay with it because guess what I'm doing? I'm hunting. I And I actually think it's kind of cool. I like the idea of that classic thing that was put into them a long, long time ago still being there. That's just my personal preference. So I look at it and I go, in those scenarios, I'm probably not going to tell the dog, sit down when it goes on point. That's logical. That makes sense. Teaching a dog to sit, a, 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 a pointing dog to sit, in my opinion, is it's a lot, everything has to do with timing and what we're connecting things to behavior-wise. I'm not connecting anything with the command of sit other than when I say sit, sit down, and it's for a reason. And it ha comes back to obedience and control and the ability to be able to do just about anything I want to do with the dogs. Now, I'm going to reread your post here, and, and you, you're going to do some hunting, primarily in upland, but also some waterfall. But I look back up here and I say it's going to be part of our family as a pet most of the time. So what's important is that the rest of the family can interact with the dog in the same way. Example, walking without having the dog drag the wife and kids. You're going to use the dog. You're being honest with me and being realistic with yourself on what you're going to use the dog for. The majority of the time, it's going to be a family dog. I would say the majority of the effort should be make sure it turns into a good family dog. Now, I got good news for you. That starts with obedience and foundation, in my opinion. And if you 
are going to develop a good hunting dog in the field, you too will need obedience and foundation. So the beauty of it is, is like when we talk about like how we position these dogs from family dogs to the field, in order to be a good family dog, it requires a really solid foundation. And the example is heel sit, stay, come when I call you. Those four things, really relatively simple stuff. If you do all four of those things well, you have a good family dog. No question about it. You can take it where you want to go. People are going to look at you in envy. They're going to walk, you're going to walk past them on the road. You're going to, the dog's going to be healing well, not dragging and pulling them down the road like you have described here, not looking to break, not looking to chase at any object, not looking to lock up on point on things that should not be pointed. It's going to be, you're walking down the dog like that commercial where your family is and it's, you know, here's the dog in a good heel position. And what's going to happen is when you walk by, this is the majority of the time, because you just said the majority of the time it's going to be a family dog. When you do that, the neighbors are going to look and go, damn, I wish we had one like that. Boy, I wish we could take Sparky to do that. I wish we could take Fido to the park and do that. You know, you're going to be at a field and some kid or something is going to run across and you're going to say, your dog's going to look at it and you're going to say, nope, come here. And the dog's going to turn and look at you and come running back. And then you're going to pet it and you're going to put it on the lead and keep walking. And some, some person that's watching the ball game is going to see that happen and go, man, I wish we could have brought Max to the field. He'd have had so much fun. Look at that dog running around out there. And then when things get a little bit tempting, the owner just whistles, beep, 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 beep. And the dog comes running back to him. That's family type dog setting stuff that is going to be super valuable. Now transfer that. We're in the field. Same dog, different scenario. We just got to a spot we're going to hunt and letting the dog out. And all of a sudden I hear a car coming down the gravel road and I go, ooh, car's coming. Max, come here. Beep, 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 beep. And here comes the dog running to you. And you tell the dog to sit down next to the truck. And here comes the, the vehicle and the vehicle drives by slowly watching you, looking at you, you're hunting, you're, oh, geez, those guys are going out. And your dog sits nice and quiet as they drive by. And then you go, okay, let's go hunt now, Max. So that same skill set that I just described at the park was used at the parking lot where you're going hunting. Let's take it a little further. Now you're hunting. You let the dog out. Dog's working just like you did at the park, but now he's in the field. He goes on point. You shoot a few birds. You're having a really nice time. And all of a sudden, rabbit. Snowshoe hair runs through. Nope. Beep, 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 beep. Stop. Stops to the whistle. Beep, 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 beep. Comes back to you. Good boy, Max. Let's go. And we start quartering and casting it. Stop to the whistle. Recall. Here, here's a scenario where heel is valuable. We're going to come down a logging road and I see or I hear beepers in the distance. There's another hunter coming with their dog. So we're out hunting in the, in the wilderness and so are they. And so I say, well, I'm walking the trails. It's early season. My dog is out. I don't want my dog running into their dog in the field. So what do I do? I call Max back to me tell Max to heal, and I just heal down the trail, off lead, under control for the next 50 yards until we come around the corner and we bump into that hunter. And we say, oh, you getting any birds? Blah, 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 blah. Nope. Keep moving. Good. Good luck to you. And we move on. And then I say, okay, go ahead. And now they go out and quarter and cast. All that same skill that we did in the, the neighborhood just transferred exactly to the field. So does it take away from a dog wanting to hunt? Not at all. It allows a dog to have control and it allows us to be able to do so much more with them. Now, remember, the majority of the time you're not hunting, the majority of the time you're with family dog. So if you have, and, and I get the, here's where I see it being different. If you're a guide that's going to hunt 
if a season is 90 days, if you're a guy that's going to hunt for 90 days out of the year and you're never going to do anything else with those dogs, they're not going to come in your house, they're not, you're not taking them for walks, you're not going on camping trips with them, you're not doing anything, you are a lodge that hunts 150 hunters through your place in 90 days and all you do is upland. If that's your scenario and you've got a dozen dogs and all you're going to do is keep them in a kennel, run them, put them back in a kennel, run them, put them back in a kennel, run them. If that's the case, I'll say go ahead, don't teach the dog to heal because you're never taking the dog out on a walk anyway. But the problem is, is it's a nightmare because the second you open that door, the dog just takes off running. So now what do you have to do to get control of it? You got to be an asshole, in my opinion. You got to put a dog on a, a collar. You got to do all these things to just knock that dog down until it gives in to what it wants to do because it's been allowed to do it its whole life. Just run, 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 run. So I look at it and I go, I have friends that are hounds people. Uh, hounds guys are notorious for saying, you're wasting your time with that obedience. Just let the dogs run. That's what we do with them. Now I also, so I've, and a lot of those people are a little older. And those people are, have been doing it forever, and they were doing it with their dads, and their dads are doing it with their dads. I've met some, some young hounds people. When I say young, I'm going to say 40 or younger. I'm 41. So I'm 41 or younger. I just turned 41. So 41 or younger. I consider us young. No, I, But it just it, this, the, this age group, I've talked with a lot of them that – said, you know what, I'm going to try training one of these hounds because we really like these hounds and we're going to use it more as a family dog than a hunting dog anyway. And I'm going to try to do some disobedience. I said, it's a dog. You could do it with any breed. And all of a sudden, they've enjoyed that hound so much more because they take him for walks under control on a leash. When they do go hunting, they call their dogs and the dogs come back. No collars, no nothing. They say, here, come here. And they come to them because they've got a foundation when they're little. They put them on a lead and they heal them from the kennel to the truck and they load up. Some of them don't even have to put them on a lead anymore. They just heal off lead, load up in the truck. When the when the hunt is going on, they can call a dog back at the end of the day with a few whistles and the dogs come running up down the road and load up in the truck while the old guys bitch and piss and moan as they got to go tromping through the woods with lights to t- catch their dog watching their GPS. It's really actually pretty nice. The, usually the issue is the folks that don't want to do it are the ones who don't have it. And because they don't have it, you don't need it. That's fine. I just think it's a lot more fun and a lot easier to use them in a lot more ways, a lot more enjoyably when you have it. It's all about that foundation. So I think, does it hinder the dog's drive and independence? Absolutely not. It allows, it's, it's giving a dog more skill. Like an athlete, a kid that plays sports that has more skills wins. The more skills these guys have, the more opportunity they have to win. And so I, I 100%, I think if it were as easy as just staking a dog out and getting a dog to heal loose lead, I think I'd do it. I just don't know that it's that easy. I think heel work is something that is not complicated, but it requires a development of skill and it's pretty simple to do, especially when you start shaping the habit early. That's my opinion. That's the way I would do it. That's how I do it with all my dogs. That's how I'll do it with my setter. You'll be able to see that, Rob, uh, when I do it. Uh, it'll be obedience 100% for the first year, uh, just like I do with my labs. Now, that's I'm assuming that. We'll see. I know a lot of pointing people 
have laughed at me and will laugh at me. And I enjoy the, I enjoy it. I, I, I mean, I'm okay with it. Like, I don't take it that seriously. I look at it and I go, if I make a mistake, I'll tell you it. I'm not afraid to say it. I, I think I'll be able to do it. I'm researching. I'm reading a book right now. Uh, best way to train your gun dog. Bill Tarrant wrote it. And uh, grab that book. Grab that green bind book. I want to see who's on the cover of it. Um, so it's an old book. It was written a while ago. Uh, the Delmar Smith Method. So this is a book by Bill Tarrant. Um, I'm reading it right now. Will I apply everything in it? No. Will I apply some stuff? Probably. Will I wa read other stuff? Yeah. Will I watch more YouTube videos? Yeah. Will I apply all of it? No. So I think the idea of absorb as much information as you can and then pick what fits you. Try it. If it doesn't work, make an adjustment. Don't get stuck in the idea of I have to pick a program because there's... There, the, the, that idea is like the idea of forcing the peg into the hole. Unless you have the right peg, it won't. it's not going to fit perfectly. So instead, adjust your hole. You got the peg. The dog is the peg. Adjust the hole to fit it. So good luck to you, Rob. I think, I think it was a great question. Um, it's, a, it's a question that I think will help a lot of other people. Uh, it's why I wanted to do it as a podcast. Um, keep me posted. We'll see how it goes. Thank you guys for listening. If you do me a favor, if you'd subscribe to the podcast, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, or maybe it's not the first time, but you're not subscribed, if you would do us a favor of hitting subscribe, helps us track and understand better how we're doing. Do that for me if you would as a favor. Uh, and the other thing I'm going to ask of you is if you could leave a review. Well, if you're listening to this on an app of some sort, there's usually a spot for you to rate it and leave a review. If you would do that, um, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys for the support. Appreciate it more than you know.